Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Hey, Connect. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve on the team. And thrilled you decided to join us today as we wrap up All In, which has been all about following Jesus together. Now, did you know that the night before Jesus died on the cross, he prayed for you and me? It's pretty cool. He prayed for you and me. And what's interesting is that when he prayed for us, he prayed for our unity. Like of all the good things he could have prayed for, Jesus prayed for our unity. Why would he do that? I think it's because Jesus knows that in a, in a dark and divided world, our unity will spotlight him. In a dark and divided world, our unity actually spotlights Jesus. The only problem is that as the church, if you look back over the last 2,000 years, we're not exactly known for our unity. We're often known for our division, our denominations, our various ministries, all started with the best of intentions, and yet, from the outside looking in, it looks like we can't get along with one another. Uh, What divides us? Well, it's all the same things that divide the world. Uh, Different priorities, personal agendas, focusing on what we're against rather than what we're for, all kinds of different things. All these things that also divide others who don't know Jesus, who don't follow him. I, uh, I love how in his book, Until Unity, Francis Chan puts this. He says, we're currently the most divided faith group on earth, and there isn't a close second. If you think I'm exaggerating, name another religion with more than two or three factions. We have thousands of denominations and ministries, each believing their theology or methodology is superior. Know this, there's nothing wrong with deeply held beliefs. There's nothing wrong with even knowing what we're for and what we're against. There's nothing wrong with personal agendas. It's called being human. But we're more than human. We are also followers of Jesus. And if we're followers of Jesus, then we should seek what Jesus sought. Now, Jesus sought to save the world, so he prayed for our unity. If you've got a Bible with you, would you turn with me to John 17, verses 20 through 26, capture this prayer that Jesus prayed for you and me. We're going to take a look at that in just a sec. If you need a Bible, you can follow along on our app. You can also take notes there. Like a team at halftime, throughout this series, we've been reminded of our invitation, our call to follow Jesus. Jesus never invited us to simply be fans of him. The invitation of Jesus has always been to come out of the stands and join him on the field. It's an invitation to follow. Now, this call to follow Jesus, it's not just for some of us, some number of us, or some part of us. This call to follow Jesus is a call for all of us to go all in and follow Jesus together. Now, as we're going to see today, if we want to win together, we've got to unite together. Before we go any further, let's pray and ask that God be the one who speak to us now. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would teach us, 
that you would convict us of any sin in our lives, that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly. And as we see Jesus more clearly, would we just be so compelled by him to live like him, to love like him, and to unite as he called us to unite and prayed for that. So Lord, we ask that you would move right now in this time, in this space. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this is what Jesus prayed the night before he died on the cross. He had just wrapped up dinner with his closest friends and followers around the table when he jumped into a prayer. And we're going to, we'll go back to the beginning of the prayer here in a moment. But, but first, I want to hear what, I want you all and I want us to hear, what did Jesus pray for us? Well, here's what he prayed for us in particular. John 17, 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone, referring to his disciples around the table with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, referring to us today, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He says that they, referring to us, may be one as we are one. Jesus is one with the Father. This is a fundamental belief that we hold as followers of Jesus. We believe in one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, who we know as Jesus, and God the Spirit, who we know as the Holy Spirit. One being, three persons. And the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. Now, one God, three persons, if that, if that hurts your head, it does for me too. It's because nothing else in life is triune like our God. He is one being in three persons. Each person is distinct from the others. And Jesus prayed that, that we would be one as as he is one with his Father. You see, as followers of Jesus, we unite because God is united. Uh, sometimes we get unity confused with uniformity, but they're not the same thing. Uniformity is everything or everyone looking the exact same. But unity is different. Unity is everyone mutually submitting to one another in pursuit of the same thing. For example, in Scripture, we see God the Father, we see God the Son, Jesus, and they're equal. But what we see in Scripture is Jesus actually submits his will to the Father's will. Not because the Father is uh, superior in some way to God the Son. No, they're equal. They're both fully God. But Jesus does this because they're seeking something together. And that's what we're invited into as well. You see, mission is critical to unity. Uh, just look, anywhere in life, business, government, families, the church, where mission is absent or it's fuzzy, 
there's probably division and dissension. So may we never forget why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost so that the one who's lost can be found, so that the one who's disconnected can have a relationship with God. And it's why we as a church are here. It's why we gather. It's why we do what we do to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. Over the last 2,000 years, what the church has experienced is greater and greater division as people have focused on minor things and made them the main thing. For some, they put the stake in the ground, we're reformed. Well, on the other side of the fence, you got people who are saying, well, we believe in a free will. Some people want to die on the hill of, we speak in tongues. Others think that's weird. It, it, maybe it's not a, a theology, a belief system. Maybe others, they've, just, they've taken their stand on how they do church, the methodology. If it's not verse-by-verse verse teaching, then it's not biblical preaching. Or maybe it's, well, worship's got to look this way, not like that. We've, we've made all these things that are important, but we've made them the main thing. And as a result, what we see is a very divided, fragmented church. We're actually known by what we're against each other rather than what we're for. God's glory and making him known. After all, for Jesus, it was all about God's glory, all about his glory. Jesus began his prayer for us by first talking with God the Father about their glory together as God. Listen to this. This is the beginning of John 17. After this, Jesus said this. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. As the Son of God, Jesus gave up his right to be worshipped as God for a time. And he did that for you and me. He humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant, and then died a death that we deserve for our sin. But what we know is that Jesus victoriously rose from the dead, and he is coming again. You know, there was a, a hymn in the early church that really summed up what we believe as followers of Jesus so beautifully. Paul records it for us in Philippians 2. Talking about Jesus, Paul writes this, who, referring to Jesus, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is what we believe. This is the gospel. As a global church, we might disagree on some, some side topics, we might disagree on how we go about gathering and expressing ourselves as a church, but we agree on this. Jesus is the Son of God. 
He came to earth, died a death that you and I deserve so that we can have a relationship with God. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is coming again. And when he does, everyone, everyone is going to worship him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. In a divided world, a divided church is just the ploy of the enemy. Because a divided church fits right in, blends right in with a divided world. But in a divided world, a united church stands out because a a united church points to the one who's not from this world, who's not of this world, but came to save this world. In our dark and divided world, our unity spotlights Jesus. So, in light of Jesus' prayer, we unite together. We, we get down from our soapbox, we put aside our personal agenda, and we unite together for three fundamental reasons. And the first is this. In light of Jesus' prayer, we unite together for God's glory. Jesus prayed in John 17, 4 and 5, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. During Jesus' time on earth, Jesus brought God the Father glory. He did what he was sent to do. And and in so doing, he connected us with God and he helped us see God for who he really is. Jesus is the clearest picture we've ever had of what God is like, because he is God. We also glorify God when we do what God has created us to do. In case you're unfamiliar with what God's created us for or how he created us or why he created us, let's just go back to Genesis really quick where we see God create humanity. In Genesis 1, we see, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. God is triune. We talked about that a moment ago. God is triune. He is the perfect example of loving community. He is united, Father, Son, and Spirit. And God created us, humanity, as his representatives. So we are supposed to show the world and share with the world who God is. We glorify God through our unity. God is united, so we are united. And when we're united, we accurately share with the world a key attribute of who God is. Now, here's the crazy thing. We don't just unite together for God's glory. When we unite together, we actually, or when we worship God, when we glorify him together, it actually unites us. It draws us together. A couple times, well, I wish I could do a couple times a year, at least once a year. Sometimes it's a couple times, but typically it's one time a year. I gather with other church leaders from across the country, across the world, for a conference. I love this. I go eager to learn, eager to be inspired and encouraged. But you know what inevitably moves me? It's not the main sessions with with the talks and the insights and the points. Those are valuable, but what moves me is the time together in worship. Because there are thousands of pastors from all across, from hundreds of different denominations who have all come together, and instead of focusing on that little thing that makes us different from one another, we focus on what we have in common. 
We worship God, and we talk about how we can join him in his mission to save the world. This is why I love worshiping together on Sundays, too. It is really hard for me to be critical of you when we're wrapped up in God's presence praising Jesus together. Worship actually unites us. So, Jesus didn't call us to be critical. He never called us to be critical of one another. We are good at being critical of one another, but Jesus didn't ask us to be critical of one another. He called us to love one another. And it leads us to the second reason that we unite together. You see, we unite together for our good. Francis Chan points out that when love is shallow, all it takes is, a, is something trivial as a disagreement to divide us. Think about what that must be like from Jesus' perspective. I mean, just think about it. He modeled unity. He prayed for our unity. He died for our unity. And yet we love so shallowly at times that we're okay with dividing on the thing. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when the night before he died on the cross, he spent his time talking with his father about our unity. So let's not have shallow love for one another. Of course, in the church, there's, there's going to be friction because we're human. We're broken. We're messy. And because of that, sometimes we hurt one another. Uh, we know Jesus, and we're in the process of becoming like Jesus. And what's so cool is that God's design for that transformation process, it's actually to use you and me in each other's lives to sharpen one another. In Proverbs 27, 17, we read this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You see, what the enemy would intend to use to hurt us and to divide us and to sideline and sidetrack the mission of God, what the enemy would use for those purposes, God, in his grace, in his goodness, actually uses it to sharpen us. We help one another be better, to grow, to change. Now, we don't love the other person because they're always uh, lovable and cuddly, no, no, we love because he first loved us. That's why we love. Love for one another is our response to the gospel. Love, like God's love for us, it actually, it overflows from us in love for one another. Now, we are the church and we are people and we are broken and we are messy. So when it's tense, how do we handle that in a God-honoring way, in a way that Jesus would instruct? Well, Jesus knew that we were going to be sharpening one another, and that wouldn't always go great. So he outlined just a very simple process for conflict management in the church. And in Matthew 18, we have it recorded for us. Matthew 18, 15 through 20 tells us, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take two or, or one or two others along, so that Every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they ref refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, 
it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. As followers of Jesus, when we have conflict with one another, what do we do? The first thing we do is we talk to the person about it. If the person can't do something about it, we don't talk to them about it because if we do, that's gossip. That's gossip. And gossip is the wedge, the wedge that the enemy uses to divide a church. Nothing kills community faster than gossip. So at Connect, we don't talk about people, we talk to people. If you find yourself in a conversation with someone and you're talking about someone else and they're not there, stop. Just don't go there. If you're in a conversation with someone and they start talking about someone else who's not there, stop them and encourage them to go talk to the person about it. I'm not the only gossip squasher here. If Connect is your church, if this is your family, then together we get to foster a healthy community. And healthy communities are void of gossip. Because, as Jesus instructed at Connect, what we're going to do is we're going to be a people who talk to people, not about people. Now, if that doesn't work, because sometimes it doesn't, here's what we do next. We talk to the person with someone else. It's nothing wrong if we go to step two in the process. Sometimes we just need a third party to be present. Someone who can help us uh, sift through the emotions, sift through the mess, and just see the light. So we invite someone, maybe from our community group, maybe from our serve team, we invite someone to join us. Now, if that doesn't work, what we see in this passage is that we talk to the person with church leadership. Rarely do things escalate to this level, but sometimes they do because we're messy and we're broken and we're all in process, right? We're being transformed, and sometimes we just need to get a few more people involved. And if that's the case, if the person uh, needs to have a conversation uh, that involves church leadership, our church leadership would love to help. We're here to support you. We're here to help. Now, if it gets real crazy and that doesn't work, what Jesus says is that we cut them off. They're no longer part of the, the community. And that's never the goal, but sometimes it is, re it is reality. And it stinks when that's the case, but... We're going to follow Jesus, and we know that he values unity, and if someone's going to choose division over unity, then, then we're going to have to part ways. Jesus didn't pray, just pray for unity for the church. He actually gave us a template to walk it out, to, to seek unity together, to seek reconciliation with one another. We talk to the person. If that doesn't work, we talk to the person with someone else. And if that still doesn't work, then we talk to the person with church leadership. Now, I've actually seen our church family do this really well in a very healthy way. I'm not going to share names for kind of obvious reasons, but out of respect, I actually have seen our church walk this out in a really healthy way. And the reason it was healthy is this. The people who approached the other party, they did so humbly. They did so in love for the other person, and they did so because they were seeking unity. It's not comfortable. It is certainly not easy, but it is good. It is God's plan for conflict resolution. Because even when just two of us or three of us are united together, it is incredible. Jesus is with us in a special way. That's what he promised here in this passage. And his kingdom advances all the more. 
leads us to the third reason we unite together. In light of Jesus' prayer, we're uniting together for God's glory, for our good, and we unite together for others to know Jesus too. Back in in John 17, uh, Jesus said it this way in his prayer. He said, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I've loved them even as you have loved me. We represent a united God. So we've got to be a united people because we are many people's first impression of God. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. Oftentimes, people's first impression of God is their first impression of us. So what kind of first impression are we making? Uh, Chuck Mingo, he's a pastor, a founder of Living Undivided. He says it well. I love how he says it. He says, we can't preach a united gospel as a divided church. And I, I read that and I think, you know, it's great that we are, we're loving our neighbors and we're sharing Jesus with our family members and our coworkers and we're inviting people to be a part. It's great. But what Jesus said is that people will know him. They will know that, that God sent him, that he came, that he loves them, that people will know Jesus by our unity, by our unity. So we get down from our soapbox. We put aside our personal agenda and we unite together. We worship God wholly. We come alongside each other. We sharpen one another. We live on mission together. When I think of this concept of of uniting together, what I really think about is this invitation to be an active part of the community. I think of my community group. Now, if you you were to show up at our house on a Sunday evening, you're going to see people that you would never expect to be together. Because on the surface, it doesn't appear like we have a whole lot in common. My family and the Zarembas, we've got young kids. We're trying to figure out that whole season of life. Adele is an African-American woman. She's working full-time. She's going to grad school in the evenings. We've got Jennifer and Lynn. They're Asian-American, and when when work's not keeping them busy, oh, man, they're enjoying the emptiness season of life. We've got Hannah, who is a student at Denver Seminary pursuing counseling. You know, you come into our living room, you think, why are these people together? It doesn't seem like they've got much in common. But let me tell you, we've got everything in common because Jesus is Lord of our heart. We love Jesus, and we love coming alongside each other. We don't always agree, but we learn together. We don't look exactly alike, but we love being together. And this is the invitation to all of us, that we can actually grow in community together. If you're not in a community group, i got to tell you, you've got to join a group, or else you're missing out on the growth God has for you in relationship. And their groups are kicking off in the next couple of weeks, and you can find out more on our app and other things. But I got, man, join a group. It is a great way to unite together. I, uh, the last couple evenings, I've been watching the Miracle on Ice movie. I don't think it's called Miracle on Ice, but that story of the Olympic hockey team back in 1980. They're playing in Lake Placid, New York, and uh, Herb Brooks gathers these people from 
uh, these college students, mostly from various schools, rival schools, like Boston and Minnesota, and he brings all these, these guys together and goes through a very intense training regiment for seven months. And the whole movie focuses on this concept that it's not about the individual's performance, it's about the, the impact we can have when we unite together, when we function as a team, when we, when we are more interested in the, the name on the front of the jersey than on the back of the jersey. And there's a lot of things, some of you lived through this time in history where there is a lot of tension in the world, especially between the United States and the Soviet Union. Well, as the story in history plays out, in the, the first game of the medal round of the 1980 Olympics, the U.S. team, a bunch of college players who are, have only been playing together for seven months, they come together and they take on the Soviet Union, the best team in the world. Guys are huge, and they have won many Olympic titles leading up to this. I think it's like four in a row or something. It's nuts, okay? The U.S. was supposed to lose, but they played as a team. They united together, and they took down the Soviet Union. Two days later, they went on to win the gold medal. It's amazing what can happen when a group of people who might not look alike, might not initially get along, but when they put down their own personal pride and they unite together, anything's possible. And that's just in the sports world. Imagine what can happen when we do that as followers of Jesus. Because our goal is so much bigger than winning a game. We are invited to join Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost. So connect. Halftime's over. The second half is about to start. And if we are to win, we've got to unite together. This isn't a, a call to, for just some of us, like some part of us, some number of us. No, no, this is a call for all of us to go all in and follow Jesus together. And when we do, South Denver, the front range, they will know Jesus too. So what do you say? Let's go all in and follow Jesus together. Lord, we ask for that very thing, and we ask that we would see victory in your name in a greater way than we've ever experienced before. In our own lives, as we sharpen one another, um, together as we represent you, accurately represent you, and that you are united to the world, would, would that be an incredible witness? Thank you for the other churches in our area. Thank you that they've partnered with us, and we've gotten to partner with them, because we love you. We love you and you love us. And would you help us to, to focus on what matters most and not get caught up in trivial things? Would you help us to love deeply? Because you love us deeply. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're going to do as we realize what you prayed for us, Jesus. As we realize the impact that unity has in our lives and the lives of those around us. We ask this in your name.